0: Welcome to the Distracted Driving Podcast. I'm Sean Genovese. This is episode 53, That Answer Crushes Me. This episode features the same guest as we had in episode 52, my friend Brian Leahy. We didn't explicitly introduce him and his background in the last episode. Um, it, It just really started and ended so perfectly I wanted to leave it alone. But I'll give you a little extra color commentary uh, ahead of this one. Um, Stephanie and I met Brian when we all worked at the Boeing company together. We have all since gone our separate ways. But Brian is still in leadership development. That is his area of expertise. And that is why this conversation continues to be a great one around the topic of leadership. We're going to continue it here Um with, again, I've got uh, Stephanie Van Ash as my co-host for this episode. I will not do a postamble for this. We're just going to go ahead and, and let it end on a cliffhanger, as you know I love to do. And then we'll pick it up uh, again in episode 54 with Brian and answer the question that Stephanie poses at the end of this episode, and we'll answer a few more. I do remind you that these episodes are sponsored in part by Lead Out Loud Workshops, so take a look over at lolworkshop.com and see what we've got on the schedule or what uh, you might want to create for yourself. We're very flexible and can accommodate just about any request, so if you have a need for some leadership development in your organization or for you personally, check out lolworkshop.com. i I want to point out one other thing um that i highlighted here as you were talking you were describing i'm going to use my my description um solutions looking for problems and what i think is interesting about how you were kind of explaining that you were explaining it from the perspective of of people initiatives Mm-hmm. hey we've got this somebody comes in and, and they say we've got this problem but what they really are presenting is a solution and i see that all the time in in operations yeah. uh, uh you know from the operations perspective from continuous improvement from um you know out on the manufacturing floor people do that all the time hey we need um you know, oh, what's, what's the problem? Oh, well, we need a, a new column added to the spreadsheet. No, that's not the problem. That's a solution. Tell me what the problem is. Yeah. And I coach, uh, I coach um, students that are doing senior projects all the time. They have a, a really bad habit of coming up with really great solution statements. The task was to create the problem statement for their senior project, but they always build the solution into the problem and, and we have to say, no, you, you got to stop. You got to separate those two. Yeah. Re- reframe this as, okay, if that's the answer, what's the question? Because it is. You've presented the answer.
1: Yeah. That's really interesting, Sean. I, I like that. I like you pulling that in because I think then, you know, I'm going to talk out of the other side of my mouth. There's a fine line there when you do what you're describing and when, when you somebody does what we're advocating Um because the flip side is you don't want to get stuck in right, the analysis phase. You have to be able to sort of do both. But to your point, starting with let's really identify the problem and in some ways what problem we're trying to solve or what behavior we want to change or what outcome we want to see at the end of this. Minimally, if you take the time and kind of slow down to do that, in theory, you're going to give yourself a better chance for a solution ultimately that actually sticks Um, but you and I, and Stephanie, I know, you know, this, right. Given where we have worked, there are people who love to swirl around the problem too. And that's kind of the, right. That's the push and pull here of that type of situation.
2: I love when people call it admiring the problem because that just like, is it's like, like, Ooh, that's bad. Oh, this is the worst. Oh, look at how terrible it is. And it just makes my blood boil.
0: I I have never heard anybody talk about admiring the problem. I think I would have smacked them. (laughs) But you know what though? I have heard people do what you just, what you, the, the, uh, uh, the, well, the, the
2: problem. Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, they, they don't describe it as such, but you're right. They do that. And the only thing worse than the analysis paralysis is analysis paralysis around the wrong problem to solve. Yeah. Ooh. So now we're doing nothing. And, and, and the energy that we're focusing to do, to accomplish nothing is not even on the right thing.
1: Yeah. So can I can I add a little color to what you described with a very HR but business type Hold of... Hold on. Let me
0: poll the audience. What do you guys think?
1: <laughs> yes. They said yes. Thank Go ahead. You. All right. So let's add some color to exactly what you just said because, unfortunately, I've seen this in every company where I've been. Somewhere along the line, somebody calls out that our our people managers aren't effective enough and we need more training for our people managers to be effective. And so... Stephanie and I know this, and Sean, you've seen this, right? You've been in these programs. We spend months and hundreds of thousands of dollars to create the best people leader program we can. But over here on kind of in the shadows is the reality that nobody chose to step back and think about, which is what's the span of control of those people leaders? In other words, do we have people leaders who have 20 and 30 people underneath them? Because if that's the case, I don't care what you build and what you throw at them. To your point, Sean, you're actually going after a symptom of a very different problem. Whereas if you could change your span of control all of a sudden, now you might be helping solve something without all the rigmarole that gets spun up first. And then you can become more targeted. I've seen that in every organization where I've worked. And every time I raise the question about span of control, it's always like, yeah, but we want to do some manager training because that's what they need.
0: Okay. Or we don't have, we don't have the budget to hire another manager. Right. We have the budget to go spend tens of thousands of dollars on these leadership development programs, but we don't have the budget to
1: hire another people leader. Exactly. And they're not even considering the fact that they could create supervisory roles out of their existing staff, right? I mean, so again, I love your point. They're a lot of times looking at the wrong problem, and that's a prime time example straight out of the world of HR. Right? Every time.
2: That's such a tough one, Span of control, <clears throat> especially in larger organizations. I mean, managers are expensive more usually expensive mm-hmm. um than frontline workers and um it adds layers which slows down your communication and decision making so it's uh really cool i'm reading a lot of um, economics kind of formula stuff later which is not my forte <laughs> not doing it for learning um but i wonder if there was like a formula between like span of control and like impact and other parts of the organizations like i would find that so cool
0: Yeah, I have had people call and ask me that question because one of the things I I did uh, when I was at Boeing, we did a very extensive benchmarking study and looked at 42 different organizations and how they how they organized their. We were specifically looking at industrial engineering talent in hopes that we could find some some correlations between org structure and effectiveness. And, and we did, but that's a topic for another podcast. Um, But I, because I was involved in that and because I have colleagues that knew I did that and knew where I worked and knew that I was in that sphere, I'd get calls from people that that is a question that everybody wants to answer to. They want the magic formula. Mm -hmm. Hey, what should our span of control be? Or how should we set this up? How many managers should we have? What's the, uh, what's the magic ratio for, you know, budget purposes or whatever? And my answer is there, there really isn't a, a magic ratio. There's no magic number. It's, it's all about making sure that you have the right principles in place and you have the right guidance. And then you can go figure out, okay, based on that, what's the right answer for this situation? Yeah.
1: That's really fascinating, Sean. Because I was I was hopeful that's where you were going. Because in my mind, I kept saying it depends, and that's exactly what you said in a different way. And again, let's think about. It may also depend on what the company's looking for out of its people leaders. Because if a company's looking for people leaders that coach and give regular feedback and do all the stuff that I think the three of us and oh by the way, the leading out loud workshop would right try to inspire. Um, there's my shameless plug for all the good work you're doing. Well, you know this
0: this podcast is sponsored in part
1: by Lead Out Loud. Well, how about LOLWorkshop.com? I love it. You so I love it. And by the way, when you when you are when you're as a company are expecting that type of stuff out of your leaders, then Sean, back to your point, then that should become a factor in what your ideal span of control may end up looking like. Because to do all that stuff with 20 directs versus 10 directs. That's a completely different scenario for somebody who's a people leader.
2: And by the way, I just love how in the story you just shared, Sean, that an engineering team was like, hey, we're going to look into this. Don't tell HR. We're going to do our own investigation. Just leave them out of it. And you're like, hey, I'll share my findings. with I love that. It just tickles me.
0: (laughs) Well, I didn't say we didn't tell HR.
2: I just inferred that. I mean, did you tell them? Did you have an HR partner working with you?
0: On the benchmarking study? yeah no, because that was not that was not really the scope of that that project. It All was right. not about headcount it was about looking at the operational uh operational effectiveness and how things were were structured got it that crushes cool. me by the
2: way um,
1: that answer crushes me because this goes back <laughs> to what we. <laughs> Well, it was what it we goes back to 10 minutes ago, right? Like, this is that blank. Exactly.
2: Right? Yeah. Like- but th- this is where Sean doesn't know, probably doesn't know, that there's a whole HR discipline called organization effectiveness.
0: <laughs> okay. You know that? So I I know that there are those. Uh, yes, I am aware that there's organizational effectiveness. Um. I'm not trying to hurt the feelings of any HR people that may or may not be on this podcast today. Um, first of all, I'm not sure that that existed at the Boeing company at the time of the study. And, and if it did, they were ineffectual. Yeah. Uh, there, I said it. No, Sorry. It's all good. Um, the, the HR department, the reason we had no HR partner is because HR's job was to help with talent acquisition, period, period. End of end of sentence. And whatever other, um, you know, company protecting legal
1: things they had to do when people got upset. Yeah, the basics, right? The fundamentals. Um, and the reason that crushed me so much that answer, Sean, wasn't because of what you just described. For me, Stephanie, the reason it crushed me is because I'm like, damn, why didn't the HR business partner suggest that? Why didn't the HR business partner have enough sense to say, Eh, maybe we ought to help you all with this. Maybe you ought to look at this. That's what kills me a little bit, right? That's back to being a business person who's good in the space of talent. And Sean, to your point, in a lot of organizations, they're not equipping or bringing in people or giving them the expectation in HR that that's also what you're supposed to be helping with. So it's, it's a really interesting intersection, that story of what can be missing, right, in an effective HR org.
0: I I think um you know now that we're talking about this we we had a really hard time um selling the results of of our study hmm. to the very people that paid for the study and uh perhaps if we had some some hr again it wasn't it wasn't a just about um Quantities of people or span of control that that came up as part of what we discovered. But that may have helped us uh, make the case for some of the things we were suggesting. And as I reflect right now on, well, gosh, why why didn't we go that route? Follow the money. And unfortunately, HR, IT, other centralized functions, they they are. Uh overhead they're not generating the money for the program so we were we were very focused on okay who are the people that are going to fund these changes who is it going to impact how is it going to impact their ability to bring money in because if that was going to be perceived as negative then we were we were dead in the water
1: yeah yeah unfortunately makes sense (laughs) right yeah
2: I wonder if we can pivot. Um, we're, we kind of been dancing and touching a little bit on, you know, leaders, and I, I always love to think of like leaders of the future, you know. So I have a question for both of you. Like, what are some skills you think the leaders of the future need to have? And let's think about like the the immediate future, like the next rung of either, you know, company founders, the next round of frontline managers who, you know, eventually will lead larger teams. What are some skills you think they need to really make it as those, you know, lowercase C leaders?